0: Welcome to the Heme Consults podcast, a weekly inspiration infusion for women of color and hematology. Dear women of color in hematology, Heme Consults is your personal space to rest, recharge, and renew your spirit with a weekly infusion of inspiration from hematologist Dr. Toyasi Onwemina. Every Sunday, Dr. Unwemena will remind you that you are a superstar and have everything you need to succeed in your incredible career as a hematologist. Welcome to the hematology sisterhood that will transform your world. Hello, welcome to the Heme Consults podcast. I am your host, J.S. Unwemena, physician scientist, hematologist, amazing speaker, and writer. <laughs> I try to change it up every time. I don't want you thinking I'm only a hematologist, which is actually relevant as far as what we're talking about today. So first of all, I just want to say, oh, woman of color and hematology, there is so much to you. You are an incredible phenomenon. You are somebody who is constantly evolving and shifting and changing. You know what's really cool about you? It's not like you're evolving and shifting and changing and you're like different things. You're like evolving and shifting and changing into like a bigger, beautiful, greater version of you. And so this version of you has so many facets to it. It's just got so much. You're so amazing. And the interesting thing is that you have no idea how amazing you are. You actually really just don't. And I know you don't because when people like me tell you that you're amazing, you're like, oh, me? Oh, no, no, mm -mm, not me. (laughs) But if you would be honest and you would look back upon your entire life until now, you look back on all those things you've accomplished, It's incredible, all the things you've done. It's incredible how far you've come, how many odds you've overcome. And you know, like deep within you, you just know how incredible that is. And other people can see it, but it's hard for you to see it because you're not used to accepting praise. You're not really used to accepting compliments. You've actually grown up in an abusive environment, really. That makes you listen only for criticism, that makes you listen only for the way in which you can improve. But you're incredible. You've done so much. There's so many aspects of you, so many facets to you. And the awesome thing about it is that it keeps moving and changing and you're becoming more and more and it's becoming more and more incredible because, oh my goodness, you came this far and it's like you came this far, but there's so much more. There's so much more to you. And so I just want to encourage you, oh, woman of color in hematology, that you just, you're so much more than you can see. And one of the things that I I ask you to do is to look inward and discover more of this amazing, beautiful thing that is you. And I just want to encourage you that you would... You would just continue to pay attention to the things that are awesome about you so that you can make them stronger because the things that we pay attention to, those are the things that grow. And so I think people might try to tell you that you are not enough and those are the things you pay attention to, but what you really need to pay attention to are the spaces in which you shine because that allows you to shine more That allows you to be bigger, it allows you to be more awesome. So, I just wanted to invite you into that space of just recognizing how incredible you are and how that incredible f- person that you are is shaping up and becoming so much more. All right. So, today's episode is called Play the Long Game. It's called Play the Long Game. <laughs> And the story I'm going to tell today is another one of those stories where I look far back and I go into like from the past into the future or into the present. And, and it goes back to, actually, I, I think I'll take this one back to medical school. And you you were there, if you are a woman of color in hematology, if you are a, a physician in medical school where you had never done medical school before. I had never done medical school before. And All of a sudden I start medical school (laughs) and it's just an incredible amount of work and an incredible amount of, of, of the things that you don't know. I mean, like many of you maybe can resonate. I came into medical school, super smart, top of my class, so many awards. Then I get to medical school and it's like, I'm dumb and I have no idea what I'm doing. And there's so much I don't know and they do the test and I'm like average. I mean, it was just such a demoralizing time. I was just thinking, wait a minute, I thought I was smart, but apparently I'm not because there are a hundred other people and at least half of them are smarter than I am, which is a silly, silly thing. I mean, this is not a game of who's the smarter one or who's the smartest, but we make it about that. And we're all on a journey and it's a personal individual journey, but we're focused on Well, this person scored this and I only scored that. So anyway, medical school is one of those all-consuming times in medicine where you study really hard or I studied really hard and at the the end, you know, I'd get the test result back and I would still have barely made it, barely passed. And so that was medical school. And there was just the sense that it was all-consuming because it was all I did. I was always in class or on my way to class or coming back from class or studying for class. It was just like it was overwhelming and there was very little space for much else outside. And I didn't do the party scene with my classmates. So I just I just kind of had a different sense of what was fun compared to what what many of my classmates considered fun. So we didn't end up hanging out as much. Actually, there was a select group of classmates with whom I hung out a little bit more, but I tend to be kind of like a little bit more on the introverted side. So I definitely had my own, (laughs) my own life outside of, outside of medical school. But I think ultimately it was that it was an all-consuming experience. And then I survived that experience. I thrived, right? And made it through and came into residency. And wow, there was so much of that too, that felt like all-consuming I'd be on call for 30 hours and I would go home and sleep, sleep, sleep. And then I would wake up and do it over. And I finally got to a place in my life where I just felt like, oh, my goodness, medicine's going to suck everything out of me. I want my life back. And actually, I started having these feelings of wanting to have my life back from the moment I was in med school. There was just a sense of like I had lived a full life up until med school. I I'd had a great time in college. I did come straight through college into med school. And I had really a great experience in college and then to come to med school. And it was like, wow, this med school thing is all I can do. Like everything I do is centered around this medicine thing. And so even in medical school, I had the sense that I wanted my life back. I wanted the life that I could enjoy that wasn't all about medicine. And even then I was making commitments and decisions because classmates were dating each other. And I was like, I'm not dating anyone in my class because I refuse for medicine to be my whole life. And then I'm going to leave the hospital and go home and still be talking medicine. No way. I was very, I was very, very I was serious about that. And, and I just, I just, I just had the sense that I needed to get my life back. So anyway, residency came. And residency was just really I mean so much more, so much more medicine. Everything just just every time it felt like I was in the hospital, or on my way to the hospital, coming back from the hospital. It really felt like an all-consuming experience. And then I went to fellowship and kind of more of the same, except that now on my way to fellowship I got married. And interesting question, if, you know, medicine was all consuming and I wasn't gonna marry someone in medicine, how did I end up getting married? But that that's a podcast episode for another day. But anyway, here I was. In my fellowship year, and I got married, and now all of a sudden, there was not just me, but even then, it was two of us, but it didn't really change until this child was born. <laughs> my son was born. And then things kind of started shifting a little bit. Because in the past, it would be that, well, you know, there wasn't really much that I need to rush home for, because my husband was equally busy. So, Really, I could spend all the time I needed in the hospital, get everything done. Say I'm finally done, and I go home. But the moment this child was born, all of a sudden there was well, (laughs) daycare closes at six p.m. We don't care what you're doing in the hospital. We just know that we're closed, right? These are the kinds of forcing functions where, no matter how much I loved the hospital, and I have to tell you that I did not, it was just actually an obligation, but also a joy to leave what I was doing. And go get this kid. It was so fun and so awesome and really transformed my life. The first of two kids to do that. But it really started to open up just this aspect in my life that, you know what? I want more. And I no longer want medicine to take all of me. So so I've had this. It's been a theme throughout my training, medical school residency. Now I'm in fellowship, a child is born. And there's more of this pressing feeling of like this overwhelming thing where medicine feels like it's ruling my life, I need to let it go. But it wasn't really, it, I mean, it, the journey, it didn't really change. I mean, I was in the hospital probably about as much as I had been, or even more so in fellowship training. But definitely, I think the urge to break free continued to get stronger. And then fast forward to my faculty life wow, it felt like it was even busier. There was so much more to do. I was on this, you know, wrap. What what did they call it? It's a rat race. No, it's the wheel. I was on a hamster wheel. That's what it was. I was on a hamster wheel, and still having this feeling of like this thing is drowning me. This thing is taking over my life, and wanting to break free. And I feel like I'm free now. And I'm still in medicine, and it's still very much a big part of my life. And I enjoy the work that I do in medicine. But I think that when I think back to where I was when I felt like I was suffocating because there was so much medicine in my life compared to now, I think the distance between that time and now is just that I started taking ownership and leadership of my own experience. And so I went from where I just felt like everywhere I looked, this medicine thing was trying to get me. I was trying to pull me down. And to be honest, it was. Some of us would call that burnout and maybe it is. But I finally did get to a place where I felt like, you know what, it's not my whole life. And it's been a gradual transition. And some of the work that happened there was that I I did start working with an executive coach. I've told you all about that. I work with a wonderful woman named Judith, Unique Pathways Coaching. And some of that work allowed me to just begin to think of myself as so much bigger than my job. Along those lines, along those same lines, there was a lot of like ongoing because you know one of the things that happens is the more you search for something, the more you find it. Like when you're ready to find something new, all of a sudden it's like it opens up and it finds you. And so I was in this place where I was searching, and by now I had two children, and life was still crazy busy, and I was trying to make all of it work. And I think I was in the place of searching for how could I do life differently, and 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 so that's how I met Judith. And in the midst of that, also. I was reading books that kind of were helping me along those lines, too. So I I read a book about writing a life plan. And I believe that this was a book that Michael Hyatt wrote with Daniel Harkavy. And it talks about the importance of a life plan. And, And I started to really step back and think about my whole life. And so in medicine, medicine was really kind of like my work life. But there was so much more to me than just my work life. That was my financial life, which honestly, in medicine, (laughs) many of us have neglected our financial life because we are so deep in debt. We can't even think straight about what what investments we're making or what our savings is. We just we just overwhelmed by the negative numbers. (laughs) And maybe that's not you, but that was definitely me. And so there was this sense of in in creating a life plan. So at the end of this book, you create a life plan and it asks you to think about every major component of your life. So there's family, there is career, but there's also finances and there's your legacy. And it's really awesome because it allowed me to take a step back and ask who's leading, who's leading here? And I realized that I had been on this long quest to get into medicine, that I had allowed medicine to lead everything. And to be honest, medicine is not a great leader of my life. <laughs> I was doing a poor job. But, but not that medicine was leading my life. It's an inanimate object, right? It's not real. It's not a tangible person or thing. I, in a sense, was going with the flow instead of taking charge and leading my life. So even though all along I had this sense of, I want my life back, I want my life back, I think I was waiting for somebody else to hand it to me. I was waiting for someone else to give me permission to say, hey, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be here every day until 10 p.m. You don't have to be here on Saturday and Sunday. I was waiting for someone to give me permission because when I looked around, it seemed like everybody was doing this crazy thing that I was doing where they just happened to be there all the time. So it wasn't until I started doing this work where I realized that I don't have to do the default. I don't have to do what everybody else is doing. Because honestly, it's not like anyone was telling me what to do. I was looking around and and deciding to do what I saw people doing. And I recognize now that that's always going to be the wrong thing, where you're looking around and seeing what other people are doing. So, definitely over the course of having this sense of something's wrong, I want my life back in medical school, going through residency, into fellowship, and now into my faculty career. I finally started doing the work that was needed to take my life back. I'm happy to say that I did get my life back. I do have my life back. And to be honest, I've always had my life. I think I didn't have the sense of agency, the sense that I was in control of it all along. Throughout my training and medical school, I think I always thought that my life was dependent on other people. And to be honest, I'm here because I've allowed myself to lead all this time. And so no one else really is in charge of my experience. I am. And so that's where I think I want to stop that story, which kind of, kind of was like, you know, a story and a lesson at the same time to just share some of the things that I think were, were were going on for me at that time, especially when I first started thinking. You know, I was in medical school and I already had a sense that Something was wrong with a career that was so consuming that there was barely time for anything else. I I definitely had that sense. But I also had a sense of powerlessness. And I didn't think that I could be in charge because I was the medical student. And if I misbehaved or did something wrong or stepped out of line, someone might come and end this career that I had worked so hard to start. I was like one of the lucky few. I got into med school. And so there was a certain sense of fear and scarcity of like, well, if they don't like me, they're going to come take it from me. And now I recognize how that was false, but there was definitely that sense of powerlessness and, and feeling powerless keeps you from doing all the things that you're supposed to do. It keeps you from making all the accomplishments that you otherwise would make because you're depending on someone else who has the power to get you there. And so maybe in crystallizing what that lesson is for me is that as long as I felt powerless, I was. I wasn't powerless. I've never been powerless. I've always been in charge of my own experience. But as long as I didn't think I had power because I was looking at other people and the kind of power they had relative to me, then I let them lead. I let them be in charge of my life. But here's the thing. They weren't looking at me to be in charge of my life. They would just doing whatever made sense for them. I was one of many to them. So were they strategically leading me in the direction that would allow me to be healthy? No, that wasn't their priority. They had many priorities and there were many different people who had many different opinions of what I should be doing at any given time. But as long as I felt powerless, I I gave up my autonomy to them And they weren't even necessarily good leaders because they weren't thinking about me. They were just doing their own thing. So here I was thinking, I have no power. You have power. Lead me. And they're like, well, I, I didn't even hear you. I'm not even leading you, but here's all these things that you can do. And so I think it really did take me time to acknowledge that I have power over my own experience. And you might say, well, it's, easy for you to say. Now you're a faculty member. Of course, you now know that you have power over your own experience, but it took me to getting to be a faculty member where, you know, I, as a medical student, I was looking forward to the future. Okay. I was like, when I'm a resident and then when I was a resident, I was like, okay, when I'm a, a, a fellow, when I was a fellow, I was like, okay, when I'm a faculty member. And then it became a faculty member and it became clear to me, uh, there is no end to this thing where other people are in charge of your life until you say, stop, I'm taking over. I'm in charge now. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead with the power I do have. And so I think I've always had that power and I recognize it, but it, it wasn't until I became a faculty member where it was like, this is supposed to be the nirvana that I was looking for. This was supposed to be the place where I would you know, get to and then, and then have the power to lead my own career. And then I got there and it wasn't. And so all along I had the power, but I didn't recognize it. And because of that, I gave it up. And honestly, the persons to whom I gave it up to weren't even aware that they were supposed to be leading my life. At least they didn't care enough to really know what what direction my life was supposed to go in. And so then then I just felt like everything was all consuming. I felt powerless. And 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 really it was because I had given up the power that I had all along. And that brings me to lesson number two, and that is that I do have power I had power all along and you do too. You might be like, well, I'm a student, so I don't have power, but you do. No, you're not the faculty member. You're not the person grading you, but you're the person who leads yourself to decide how you show up, what things you accept as, you know, okay for you to do and what things you decide you opt out of. You're the one leading your experience and. When you recognize your power over yourself, over how you engage with your experience, over how you respond, then it allows you to really walk in your power and see that it can expand. But when you think you're powerless and you don't own the power you do have, then then in a sense you see your power diminish because all along your power is there, but if you don't use it, then it atrophies. And so I think lesson number two is to recognize the power that you actually do have. And I think lesson number three is use this power. It's not enough to say, oh, I have power, but use it. And how do you use it? You know, I think one mistake we make is where we're trying to use the power to control others. We're like, well, my experience is bad. You're the faculty member, therefore you fix it. Or as a faculty member, I could say, well, my experience is bad. You're my division chief. Well, you fix it. Or maybe I could say to my dean, well, my experience is bad. You're the dean. You fix it. Or like it happens to many of us, medicine is broken. Well, my experience is awful. I'm burned out. You fix it. And who's the you? I don't know. It doesn't matter who we point to. But you don't have power over the other. You only have power over yourself. So in a sense, here we are trying to exert influence over other people, use our power over other people so that they can change the experience for us. And what we're missing is that the power we have is to change ourselves. And as we're changing ourselves, as we're investing in ourselves, as we're transforming ourselves, We exert pressure on our environment and our environment is forced to do two things. One, either eject us because we've grown too big for it or change. And so the power we have is to transform ourselves and in transforming ourselves, we actually transform our environment. (laughs) It's really good. It's really good. And I wish I had recognized it earlier because I think I would have had a different experience. But I'm happy that I recognize it now. And I think for many of us, we're going to get older before we recognize it because you keep thinking the power is there. When I get there, I'll have the power. When I get there, I'll have the power. And you finally get to the ultimate place where you thought for sure I'll have the power. And then you find out that you don't have it. And so, and so I I hope, I hope that you do find before you get all the way there that you actually do have it. So what are my calls to action? Well, my call to action number one is to just recognize your power. It doesn't matter what you call yourself, student, trainee, graduate student, junior faculty member, whatever name it is. You have power and the power you have is over yourself, over your own experience, over how you lead your own experience. And so then it leads me to call to action number two. So you have power, use that power. Use it and don't use it to try to control others because that's kind of like a waste of time. It doesn't work very well. And it's a lot of energy that goes into trying to make other people change and do what you want and to help make things better for you. And that power is better served on yourself. So use the power that you have. But use it in the right place. Use it on yourself. Use it to transform yourself. Use it to transform the way you think. Use it to transform the way you move through the academy. Use it to transform the way you move through the world. And then called action number three is to recognize that your power and your sphere of influence extends far, 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 far beyond medicine. It's great that we are in medicine. It's great that we are in hematology. But goodness gracious, there's so much more to us. There's family, whether or not we have children. There are friends, whether or not we have a significant other. There's our finances. Goodness, how is it going to get in shape if we keep waiting for somebody to tell us that our debt is forgiven? How are we going to take charge and come out of the debt? There is so much more to us beyond our hematology lives, beyond our medical careers. And We've got to start to apply our power in those spheres of our lives so that those parts can get stronger. Because you know what? Over the course of our medical careers, we've allowed other parts of our lives to become anemic and weak because we've been so focused on this journey of medicine. And really, it's time. It's time to use your power to begin to strengthen the other areas of your life that need strengthening as we begin to look forward to the future and discover what our legacy is. So acknowledge that you have power, use your power to transform your own life, and then use your power for good to develop the other areas of your life that are underdeveloped right now. So we've come to the end of the episode and I want to thank you for listening to me today. And I just want to encourage you, a woman of color in hematology, that you really are powerful. You're incredible. What you're becoming is amazing, but you're not going to become it if you are waiting for other people to tell you how to live, if you're waiting for other people to tell you who you are, because until you take ownership of your experience, it's probably going to be chaos. So have a great week. I hope that you can continue the conversation with me online at coedcoach.com. And in the meantime, I look forward to talking with you again. Have a great week ahead. I'll see you next time.